Once again, it is good for us to be reminded of God's wonderful grace, His promises found in His Word. And we are so reminded during this Christmas tide season. Let us ask God to bless the preaching of His Word today and His church. Let us pray. Our most good and gracious God and Heavenly Father, it is so good for us to gather together here as your covenant people to worship you in the beauty of holiness. We thank you for your so great salvation. We thank you for this Christmas season and what, is, what it means to us. We thank you that we can set aside a time when we can celebrate the incarnation of your Son come to earth to save us from our sins. We pray that the joy that we feel in this time of holiday and celebration would be a time when we feel the joy of your salvation and the joy we have because our lives have meaning and purpose and hope because of you. Bless now this time that we have together, we pray, that you would bless all those who worship this day in your name. We pray that you would encourage them so that they might spread your kingdom throughout all the earth. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen. You know, throughout this Christmas season, or even Advent season, we've been singing. We've been singing as a church. Lord willing, you've been singing at home. I imagine even sometimes when the music is playing, in the background, you've been singing. Here is the thing. Here today as we consider the glory and wonder of Emmanuel, that is God with us. The world, the unbelievers here today, the day after Christmas, are still in a search for love, joy, and certainly peace. Their man-constructed holiday attempts through parties, events, gifts, and even service projects and family gatherings today have simply become vapors, dissipating in the heat of life's stresses. But we, the people of God, we have been singing, we have been catechizing one another in the great favor of God. Consider some of the songs we've sung. Consider in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, his coming. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. There's the speaking of God's coming, dispersing the gloomy clouds and the dark shadows of death. And good Christian men rejoice that we sang today. Think about this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now hear ye of endless bliss. Jesus Christ was born for this. What was he born for? Here is the crux of it. He hath opened heaven's door. No longer is there the veil of the firmament blocked off by sin, but by Christ's coming, his death on the cross, the firmament is ripped open. And we have relationship with our God and Father. And what is the result? Again, from good Christian men rejoice. It says this, and man is blessed evermore. 
and we are reminded that Christ is born for this. And hark the herald angels sing, it says this, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. And why? Because God and sinners are reconciled. This is a permanent thing. We as the people of God are reconciled to him. We are hope, the people of God. It is not a vapor that just dissipates. In joy to the world, it says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Listen, every one of us, in recognition of our own sin, knows that the curse of sin was found in our lives. And through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, the curse is broken, and we have hope and assurance. Christ's coming is glorious. Our sin has distanced, no, even separated us from God. Emmanuel, that is God with us, it is truly so. God loved us so much that we might be permanently reconciled to Him. He sent His Son to us. He came. And here is the thing. Think of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And so there's an admonition that we're to be like Jesus here. But let us think about these words. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now this is important. He loves us. God loves us. The Heavenly Father, the triune God, they all love us. And it is one God, but He loves us. And this is to say that He loved us so much that He came down and took on the form of a man. And yes, during the Christmastide season, we remember His promises of coming. And we remember that He came, and He came in the form of a baby. A baby. He humbled Himself as the Creator of all the universe and he humbled himself and came as a baby and yet when the time came he grew now this is important that God's timing is perfect right now I don't know what you're struggling with I mean I know some of the things you're struggling with but I know this everyone holds back to a point but God's timing is always perfect. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 tell us this, but beloved do not forget this one thing that, the, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack, that is to be slow concerning his promise as some count slackness or slowness, but it is long-suffering, that is patiently enduring towards us, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Now, as we think about the close of the Advent season and the beginning of the Christmas tide season and being focused on the wonderful, great fulfillment of His promises, you need to understand and remember that God's sovereign timing is always perfect. And we say, what? I know in my personal life I have trouble reconciling that. How can this be? Think of God's orchestrative sovereign hand throughout all of history, all of mankind, every person that's ever been conceived and born and lived and died and continues to live today, God has been directing their paths. Just in Jesus' coming, God prepared His people. He called Abraham out. He established the people of Israel. They were faithless. He called them to repentance. And this goes back and forth and back and forth. And you say, why didn't he just send Jesus already so that the promises can be fulfilled and the church can begin to grow? But in his sovereign, perfect will, he prepared his people. And then he scattered them around the world using empires such as the Babylonians. He provided a common language by the Greek Empire. And he provided even more security for the gospel to spread through another empire, the Roman Empire. And even in the Roman Empire, the Lord God directed the heart of the king of the entire empire to decide, he thought he was deciding for himself, to enumerate, to count the people. And that brought Mary and Joseph to the city of Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. God's timing is perfect. And this is absolutely assuring. And this is a great message to help us realize that even though we look around and if we're truthful and honest, the American empire is crumbling. The truth is no empire stays great. But God uses them, and God has used us as a country. But God is using all of mankind to bring about His promises. And we, in whatever battles you're facing, whatever challenges you're having in your life today, you need to know that God's timing is perfect, and you might think He's going too slow, but we can rest assured His sovereign timing is always perfect. With all this, this brings us to consider a couple of the things in our lectionary readings today. God did not just send His Son. Jesus did not simply come and was this great spiritual figure and He was able to point people towards God and He was a good man. No, He was the Son of God both fully God and fully man, and he lived the perfect life, but he was born. Think about this. In both our Old Testament and our Gospel lectionary readings, these phrases appear, and, and they're connected. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, as it relates to Samuel, it says this, And this child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord, that is Yahweh, and men. We also saw 
that in Luke chapter 2, verse 52 in our gospel reading, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, that is grace, with God and men. We can even back up. You can say, well, you know, we read that story. That's about when Jesus was 12. Of course, he was mature and things. No, back up to Luke chapter 2, verse 40. When they are returning to Nazareth, this is when, when Jesus is just a babe and he's growing. And it says this, And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus was a child, and he grew, and he skinned his knee, and he ran and played, and he had to learn how to use whatever the appropriate things to eat, the, the manners of the table, so to speak. He had to sweat in helping pick the weeds out of the garden. He got thirsty. Yes, even when he was small, someone had to potty train the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has called us to live in this world and to deal with all the things that you and I deal with, no matter how mundane they seem. If you've been around me at all, you've heard me from time to time say that it is just as holy and righteous a thing for a minister to preach a sermon as it is for a mother to change a diaper. And if we all step back, sometimes people go, what in the world are you talking about? Are you saying that when you change a messy diaper, that there isn't service and sacrifice there? That it isn't a challenge? And that it isn't, and is it not helping that child to grow and mature and not suffer and die and be sick? Yes, it is all part, both because we have this, we always are trying to separate things. There's the physical world and there's the spiritual world and we have our devotions, but there's all these other things, cooking, cleaning, eating, all the things that we have to do during a day, the mundane, everyday life things, and we think they're separate. No, God created us. Those are all together. There's no separate thing there. That's Greek philosophical views that have slipped into your thinking and throughout the entire church's thinking. We must reject this and understand that the fulfillment of all things is the restoration of the heaven, God's throne room, being unblocked to the creation and flowing throughout all of the world. You know, Jesus lived a real life with the mundane. And think about this in verse 51 of Luke 2. It says, Then he, that is, Jesus went with them and came to Nazareth, and this is very important, was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And again, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He went down and had to submit himself to his parents, and was subject to them. That isn't just like clean your room, pick up your toys. No, he was submitting himself to his parents as a way to honor them, as God's word says, honoring the Heavenly Father. And he had to do all the things that everyone else did. He chopped wood. He helped his dad in the shop. 
all the different things that he did. He lived and did those things and grew, and that was part of his living a life that honored God. You know, again, sometimes we still don't get it. I think we should consider this passage from Hebrews. It says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we were and are. Jesus, he got hungry and he ate. He became tired and he slept. He was full of sorrows and he wept. He went to weddings. He sang hymns. He went to worship at the temple. He went to synagogue to learn and then later to teach. He traveled by walking and by riding. And yes, Jesus in his day-to-day -day life was tempted in every way that we are. Because of Jesus and his perfect sinless life, we may boldly approach the throne of grace, obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. I hate to tell you this, but all this so far has just been the setup. The question is, when we consider all these things, what should we do? We need to be clothed, arrayed in Christ, and therefore live accordingly. I want us to consider our lectionary reading from Colossians today. We're going to kind of read through it once and then go through it quickly, because here's the thing. All of this, it's not evaporating the Christmas tide, the Advent season. No, this is the beginning and the start of our Christian calendar, of our Christ-centeredness. It reminds us, it resets us. If we got out of course, we're getting calibrated and, and realizing that everything surrounds Christ. Our lives need to surround Christ in the daily living that we do. Don't return to the way of thinking that other things are the driving force in your life. Satan will bring challenges and difficulties and problems up, but at the, don't lose sight that despite all the noise, the political uproars, the empires rising and falling, people rattling, Satan rattling his sword, whatever it may be, difficulties and stresses in your family, in your relationships, Christ is at the center. And we must live our lives accordingly. Our passage from Colossians today says this, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, 
to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So if we think about these things and we look at this passage, there's a lot of instructions and directions, and we're just going to do a brief overview to think about recalibrating and living our daily lives Christ-centered here. But I want to point something out before we go through this and say verse 14 throws a lot of us off. It says, but above all these things, put on love. And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm good with that. I can put on love. And then the next line, we go, this suddenly became overwhelming because it says, which is the bond of perfection. And we go, well, that just went out the window because I'm not perfect. How in the world am I supposed to deal with that? I think this word is not translated as well as it could be. You see, perfection in our minds means doing no wrong, making no mistakes. This word could be better translated as maturity moving towards perfect. Maturity moving towards perfection. You see, the Bible tells us if you rebuke a wise man, he is wiser still. It is not to say that if we are trying to do these things that we are going to be perfect. No, we are striving to lay off sin. Here's the thing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when somebody rebukes you, take a moment, step back, hear God's word, hear what they're saying. If you've sinned, confess it, repent of it, restore the relationship. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let problems persist. Men, we are given to slothfulness in this area. We're always putting off tomorrow to tomorrow what we need to deal with to today. There are some times where we need to just say, please forgive me, and we need to deal with the bigger issues tomorrow because it's late at night. I'm a realist. I understand that. But don't start to put things off. At least deal with it at a cursory level and then move forward. Let us take a look at this passage a little bit more into detail. It says this again in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, let's pause, that is to say the chosen of God. God has chosen you. He has called you out. He is going to keep you, guide you, and protect you. Don't be a maverick against God. He's called you. He's chosen you to His purpose. Don't push back against the direction of his word. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy saint and beloved. Look, he can't make a, a greater case that you belong to God, that you're a holy saint, that your sins are actually forgiven. A great many of us have a difficulty actually believing that God's grace is enough for whatever sins we have committed. We want to hold on to it. When God forgives us, 
He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. We need to do the same for ourselves and for other people. And he says, beloved, that is to say, one who is welcome. Because of the work of Christ, because of what God has done through the coming of Christ, we are welcome and loved dearly. All that is the setup to say, put on mercies and kindness and humility. Now this is interesting, put on tender mercies. This put on means an inward affection. This, to clothe ourselves, to, to surround ourselves with Christ and to be like Him by putting on manifestations of mercy and goodness and humility. Now humility is a, as Webster's Dictionary would say, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God, a self-abasement, a penitence for sin and submission to the divine will. Now we recognize that in order to be clothed with Christ, we need to be like Him, like it said in Philippians chapter 2, not think about the fact that we have truth, that we're righteous, that we're Christians, therefore we're simply better than everyone else. We have the corner on truth. No, recognize that Christ chose you, not of your own accord, not because you were righteous, not because you were so good, but He chose you, and therefore you should have a deep sense of humility and recognize that you're unworthy in the sight of God. But God doesn't leave you there. He says, my son, my daughter, come to me, I love you. Come boldly to me. Let us submit ourselves to God's will on these things. We are also told to clothe ourselves with meekness. This is a gentleness, and by implication, not just gentle, like soft, and I'm petting the little kitten. No, it is by implication, humility. There's a theme here. Be humble before God that we may love Him and love our brothers and sisters. It then goes on to say, in case we weren't there yet, long-suffering. That is that, remember we talked about this when I preached on this particular fruit of the Spirit. It's a steadfast perseverance. We are to put ourselves and cover ourselves with a steadfast perseverance. Moms and dads, children, young people, in your families, do you ever feel like it's kind of long-suffering to deal with your brothers and sisters or your children or your parents. Why do they keep messing up in the same way? Or why have I said this thing to them over and over and over again? We are to be long-suffering. It is a steadfast perseverance that doesn't give up. And if we didn't get that enough, it says bearing with one another. Because, you know, we're hard like that. Christ is so patient. God is so patient when he's teaching us. Because what does he do? If we're honest, he tells us again and again and again that we are to not only be full of mercy and kindness and humility and meekness, 
But all of that to what end? To be steadfast in our perseverance, bearing with, to suffer, to contend with one another. And to what purpose? And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ, that is the anointed one, forgave you, so you also must do. Remember what it says in the Lord's Prayer? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I like to always talk about this. God not only says this so directly, but because we're hard-headed, He says it again because at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the next verse, verse 14 says this. Again, the Lord prays. So this is how you pray and you ask God for forgiveness and you say, as I forgive others who sinned against me. He ends the prayer and then turns around and says it again in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to forgive as God has forgiven us. Stop holding on to bitterness and past wrongdoings. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that we should not be careful around certain kinds of people. Or there are, not, there are certainly times where we need to say, I need to put some distance between that person and me. I'm not going to let them simply harm me. But in reality, we must forgive them. We must not hold on to offenses. We must be as Christ did. Or we must be as Christ is. This is so important. Forgive. Love your neighbor and forgive. We see this again following up with our passage in Colossians. But above all these things put on love. So he says, after he says forgive, and he's already told you to do this, he says it again. But above all these things put on love. Be charitable in an action, which is the bond. That is what binds us together. What? In a state of perfection. Remember that thing that we were worried about? That maturity, that state of maturity comes by forgiveness. By recognizing the great work of God's forgiveness in our own lives. And because of that we can love and be long-suffering and bear with one another. And then... And let the peace, that is the rest and the quietness, that is what the world was looking for yesterday when they took a time out from their busyness. And they did all these things, and they put on the trappings, and they went into their family situations without forgiveness, without restoration. They're going to go back to work sometime soon. Well, maybe through a Zoom. But they're going to go to work. And there are still going to be difficult relationships and problems. Why? Because they are not submitting themselves to Christ. Because what binds us together is 
God's choosing us to be his people, forgiving one another. We are able to let the peace of God rule. That is to direct, determine, and control in our hearts. That is the center of our life. If you want to honor God, if you want to have the best year that you can have, keep Christ as the center of your life every day, in the mundane, in everything that we do. We need to remember this, to which also you were called in one body. We're all called in one body. And we should be thankful for this. Look around you people. This room is filled, and I know there are many more people who are traveling because of the Christmas season. But these are your people. Turn to them. Be in their lives. Call them. Eat with them. Be together. We are a closely united society and family right here. And look at this. What does it say? It says let. That word let is really dwell. Dwell in the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you richly and abundantly in all wisdom, teaching and admonition. Okay, and why are we doing all of this? Look at this. It says... Do all of these things, teaching and, ad, and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is a unity of voice. All of us have a different tone, some of them more flat or sharp than others. But here's the thing. When we sing together, we are one people, one voice, glorifying God. Let us consider that we need to sing in our homes with our families, sing in our homes with one another, encourage one another. This brings grace in our hearts towards the Lord. And whatever we do in work or deed, whatever your work or labor is, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In closing, I want to say this to you. There's a lot to take in here. Center yourself at Christ. Be in each other's lives. Eat together. Fellowship together, not just on Sundays. Throughout the whole week, sing together. All of this instruction that he's given us, though, it's interesting because the very next chapter, well, the end of this chapter, verse 18, and then through uh, the following chapter, this, it's very interesting because look at what it's talking about. He then, after he sets all this up, he says, okay, there are different kinds of relationships in your life. There are wives and husbands, children's fathers, slaves, owners, employees, managers, and all of life. Now, here's some instructions about that. I've given you a framework, and then here's how you need to look at all these other relationships. We must continue in this new church calendar year. To worship and fellowship, being clothed with Christ and letting Christ be the center of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we see, understand the great act of your Son coming, that through Jesus that we are reconciled to you. Help us to the center, to center our lives in every area, every day. 
to obedience to you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.